Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
All right, welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. Man, the list of great guests just keeps on going, and it continues this week with our good friend T.C. Tolliver and Jerry Franklin from Tolliver Franklin. They put out this great new CD called Alien Fortress. We'll be talking to the both of them. T.C.'s been on the show quite a few times. He was always a fun guy to talk to. And I don't know if Jerry Franklin remembers, but I had him on the show, I think, the first year. Uh, uh, we're talking about Dyer's Eve, one of his old bands. So uh, we'll catch up with both of those guys, find out what's going on with this new project and some of their old things. Also, I spoke with Holly Flanagan, the ex-bass player from the Cro-Mags, and Holly's Warren, just a seminal figure in the New York hardcore scene this past week. That interview was pre-recorded. We'll get that somewhere in the middle of uh, today's show. I'm wrapping it up later on with AJ Spiegel live from Jack the Ripper. Heaven and Hell Records is putting out Tortured and Twisted. Uh, it's an amazing package. Uh, Jeremy does such a great job with all of his releases. So if you haven't ordered a copy, you got to get on these things right away because they come out in limited releases. And if you don't get it now, you might be paying twice the money for it on eBay later on. So uh, check out the Heaven and Hell website and uh, buy these albums and support all these great labels reissuing some classic underground bands from back in the 80s but we kicked off today's show with the crow mags that was actually holly on vocals that was off the second album best wishes uh the original lineup of the band had already kind of fell apart at that point in time and the band went in a little bit more of a metal mode uh by the second album but i do love that record a lot and like i guess we talked to holly already so we'll get that interview on a little later in the show we'll keep the music flowing between now and then and we'll talk about some of the things taking place in the news. Uh, I just walked into the studio, so let me get on another tune, get my bearings here, and we'll keep the show going. How about we do some, uh, let me see here. How about we do some Destructor with Pound and Evil? Let's 
Mariah Sacrilege. I Can't Die. That's off the band's record from last year, 666. We had Jeff on the show back then. Great guy to talk to. But right now, an old friend of the show, Mr. T.C. Tolliver, the hardest working drummer in rock and roll, and Mr. Jerry Franklin. Jerry, I don't know if you remember, but you were on the show years ago with Dyer's Eve. Oh, yeah, I do remember, Mike. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good, man. How you been? It's been a long time. I've been good, man. That's so great. It's good to hear. So yeah, still doing. Too? Yeah, not tonight. He's on. Uh, he's he's off today. He's watching women's bitch volleyball somewhere on TV. He was, he was too busy with that. I yeah, I can dig it. Yeah. Hey, listen. I'm glad that you two guys found each other and and put this album out because it's absolutely amazing. Alien Fortress. I mean, it's a little bit of everything. I mean, it's a little bit of everything you guys have done throughout your careers and even more than that. How did you two come together? Oh man, uh, it's a great story. Well, actually, I approached uh, Jerry because I wanted to do a, a CD myself. You know, it, you know, I just wanted to put out a CD, and I approached Jerry uh, if he would collaborate with me and uh, let's uh, put out a CD. Uh, I kind of wanted a, a drum type oriented type CD. Yeah, Mike, you still here? Oh, and, yeah, I can. Uh, you're, you're coming in. Okay. And uh, and with uh, Jerry and his expertise on that guitar, so uh, we just came up with a lot of songs and a, a few covers, and um, and here we are with the uh, Alien Fortress here. Yeah, well, like I was saying, you did a nice job on it. It just feels like it's really freeform. Like you guys just really just went off on it in any way you wanted to, but yet it's it's so cohesive in the same sense. I don't know if that even makes any sense, but it just seems like it's all over the place, but yet it's confined. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I love about it as well, you know? Exactly. We'd, all we did was sit in a room, just put it together, and it's like it, it was born out of our frustrations, actually, too. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, let's just, let's just have fun. Like, you know, like when you, when you first start playing in the basement, and you're sitting there just working things out, man, and that's how it was born. And as we was playing, man, you know, we just call out different time signatures, like fives or nines and stuff like that, and... Uh, we were dead on it, man. That was like uh, maybe about one take or two. Yeah, it's just like yeah, it was just so natural and you know just a one uh, take type thing, man. It was it was great, man. So yeah, and I great love that some of the songs they they clock in at like eight or nine minutes. You know, I mean, it's like you just didn't like cut things short, just like to get it out there, like for radio airplay. I mean, you really felt what you were playing. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. So how did it come about with the cover songs that you guys wanted to do for the record? Were these things that you always had planned on that you wanted to record at one time or another? No, that one, Nuclear Apathy, that's a 70s song by uh, Crack the Sky. And I played that with a band in D.C. And that song always stayed in my head and I've always wanted to do it, you know? Because it was hell for me to play that first, you know? And, yeah. Uh, but it's, it, it was like a challenge for me. So, uh, you know, I presented it to Jerry and he, he nailed it, man. So we knocked that down. And uh, another song, uh, Stray Cat Blues, that's yeah. another song back in the late 70s, early 80s. That I, It was just a few songs that I just wanted to do over again that I hadn't heard in a long time. You know, pretty secure too, as well, you know? Yeah. And well, I, I, love, I love the Beatles one. Yeah, yeah, she's so heavy. I love it, too, man. And I love what uh, Jerry put on it, too, you know? That little, uh, what you call that little modulation little that he put on there? Yeah, I thought that was a pretty good twist on yeah, it, you know? Yeah, we had fun with it. It was nice. It was good trying to recreate, you know, other people's songs and make them our own, but keeping the integrity of the song itself, too. So it was, yeah. it was fun. Uh, great job. Well, did you guys know each other before this? Yes. We yeah. actually, we actually, actually, we met. Like, I'll give you a quick thing here. 
I actually was into the plasmatics, and uh, I seen that video for uh, The Damned, and I was like, man, who's the guy with the hat on on the back of the truck? So, you know, <laughs> I, and then I, I went to the store, and I was flipping through records, and then I seen the album, Coup d'etat. Look on the back, T.C. Tolliver, and that name just stuck in my head. You know, 15 years later, I was mm. at the Stone Pony, and somebody called out that Tony McAlpine was, you know, in the club. And I was like, whoa, Tom, Tony McAlpine. I went to go look, and as soon as I seen the guy, it was T.C. Tolliver. <laughs> so, I, you know, it was crazy. <laughs> I myself, and then, you know, a couple of days later, we're jamming in my base, you know, in, my, in one of my rooms in my house. So Yeah. And we, you know, and we clicked ever since, man, so... So how, how long did it take for you guys to actually come up with this? You know, was it like a lot of years in the making where you just couldn't get together to make it happen and it finally did? Well, actually, I was doing a lot of touring. You know, we had different, you know, schedules and stuff. You know, Jerry was doing his thing and I was out there, you know, playing with, you know, TM and a lot of cats out there like that, you know, touring in Europe. And I had a little downtime for about a couple months. So Jerry and I, we just, yeah, we knocked that out in a couple months, man, from the, you know, our downtime. Yeah, yeah. Well, what about live now? Would you be able to put this together as a live pack and maybe get a few other guys to play with you and go out? Are you interested in doing that? Oh, yeah, definitely. That's going to be next. You know, I just want to promote this CD for a little while. And then after, we're going to put a, uh, put a band together and, uh, you know, just do some booking. As a matter of fact, I'm talking to a promoter in Europe as we speak. So, yeah, we're going to be doing some uh, yeah, future things together pretty soon. You know, I'm trying to get over to Europe right now, so... Yeah, man. I tell you, those Europeans—they get all the good stuff. We don't get nothing here. They get everything. Well, they appreciate everything. They appreciate music. That's true. More. I say it, man, but you know, more so than the USA. It's rough here, man. Yeah. You know, you're not—you're not the only one that says that. A lot of musicians say that. I mean, like they feel like they have to go away from their own home to play in front of people that appreciate the music. I mean, what happened here in this country? I mean, you know, different genres come and go, and and you know, and sometimes the high and the low. But what is it that we just don't support music here like we used to? I don't know. Nobody cares anymore. Besides, you know, you can get everything. You can download, you know, just about everything out here, you know. And, yeah, we need more support like that, you know. Support your musicians, man. We work hard, man, really. I, I personally Absolutely. think it's more I don't think people like to, you know, the clubs don't do anything for the people. I, that's what I think it is, you know what I mean? Because most of the time, most, most times you play around here and you have to support the club by bringing people. No club has their yeah. own, you know, their own clientele anymore. That's what I see. Like people don't want to the clubs itself. That's that's a big thing too. I mean, you know, like years ago, I mean, there were dedicated clubs for jazz, for rock, for blues, you know, for heavy metal, and the crowds went in knowing that they were going to see bands in the genre that they liked. The clubs promoted it, you know, and they knew they were going to make money off the liquor and everything else. And you felt like you belonged there, and you wanted to go. It didn't matter who played; it was a hangout, and you got to see a lot of great bands. But today, it's like they want you in and out, buy a couple of drinks, get out of here, and I'm going to do something later on with a different band. Right, exactly. exactly. Yeah, That's exactly. the way it goes. You got exactly. it, man. Yeah. yeah. But Europe is uh, different, just... man. They'll take you out any night of the week, man. It doesn't matter who you are, you know? Yeah, they stay. So, yeah. so they love music. So. It's true. It's true. Well, I know this is this is like so brand new, but uh, is this something you think you're going to keep continuing on with later on? More albums, more music? Or is this just a one-shot deal? No, nah, we're going to come up with gonna come up with different stuff but the, the music's gonna be more cohesive next time so we got an idea we're putting together an idea what we want we want we want the music to hit more three chord things right right at you and heavier and heavier so that's what we're looking to do 
simpler, heavier, and, you know, just tear your face off, you know, type Exactly, music, that's what know? we're looking to do. This, <laughs> this CD was more, it was more, this CD was more us, what we had inside yeah. of us, what we wanted to get out, you know, and, and you know, we, we, we accomplished what we wanted to do. We A conceptual to, album, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, 20 years ago, if you tried to put an album like this out on a label or sell it to a label, you'd probably have a hell of a hard time getting any interest in it because it wasn't what they were looking for. Is this one of the benefits of the business, I guess, being the way it is today where you could do it on your own and you really get to be creative and experiment and try what you want? Yeah, absolutely. And thank God for the Internet. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it it does have its good. Thank yeah, God like Jerry for, said, yeah. Thank God for shows like yours, man. You know, we're meeting a lot of people who are, you know, they, they just want to put music out. That's what I love about your show, Mike. You put music out. It's, it's beautiful. Real music. All right. I appreciate that. Thank you. But that's what it's all about. It's about supporting the artists that are putting because you know it's like we all work we're all together in this. You know, if we don't support each other, then who, who's left out there to to look after and take care of? Exactly. So exactly. Uh, that, yeah, it's you, important. It is. Yeah. So uh, you guys did this on your own. It's probably a big investment that you, that you had to put into it. What is the most that you want out of it? Is it just for the fans to hear it and, and you know, buy it and really appreciate the music in itself? No, we just want to put our music out there, you know, just like any other artist, you know. We're just trying to get it around the world. This is no, uh, no, 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 what? Help me out here. This, no, this is a... Like I said before, now we're going to make a thing of this. Yeah, but this is going to go on. So we want to we, we yeah. want to establish this 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 project as something that's we're coming. So, so this is no joke. Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, we recorded the uh, initial track here, uh, the basic tracks here at my place at the Boom Boom, and we uh, this over to Jerry's house where he yeah. uh, mixed it. So it's all self-contained, man. Yeah. I mean, the two of you are the core of this project. Is, do you think that in the future is something that you might want to have different guests come in and, and feature on different songs or on, the, on whole albums? Or do you want to keep it just basically you guys as a nucleus as far as recording goes? No, Jerry and I, yeah, we are definitely going to be the nucleus of the band. Just like you said, I like to try out different bass players or, you know, for different people, keyboards or guitars, you know, different artists out here, you know? So, no, yeah. it's... Uh, it's well, that's how I want to change it, you know, because everybody have their own little feel, you know, signature and stuff like that. So, yeah, we're going to be trying different people, too, on the next yeah. album. Uh, like a compilation well, that, or something like that of other artists, Well, that, you know? that's a good thing. I, I would love to hear that. I would love to hear you guys play with different people, you know, get their vibe mixed into some of these songs, because we already know what you guys can do. It'd be pretty cool getting, like, an outside perspective on different tunes. Exactly, yeah. That's that, that, definitely what we're looking to do, so. That way you stay fresh, yeah. man, you know? Yeah. Is it still good? I mean, you guys have been doing this for such a long time with, with so many different bands. I mean, is it still fun? Do you still enjoy doing it? Or do you wake up sometimes and say, I just can't deal with this music business anymore. I want to pack it in. I have, Mike. Believe it or not, I have, you know. But it only makes me stronger, man, you know. You know, I'm not a quitter and I'm not going to give in just because, you know, somebody can't book you or you can't do this or do that, you know. There's a lot of frustrating things out here, you know. But it only makes me stronger. Yeah, so I just like the challenge of it. Yeah. You know, every day is a new challenge. I I cannot see myself not trying. And I can't <laughs> and I can't see myself working a nine to five either. You know. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the hard part of it all. Well, yeah, TC. You know. Yeah. Well, well TC, I, ju- I just saw that you hooked up with the band Killing. 
I mean, I know Carl Kennedy was playing with them for a little while. Uh, is this the permanent thing now, or is it just something to help them out? Oh, I'm just doing a few hits with them, you know what I mean? But you never can tell what's going to happen down the line. But this project that we're doing, Jerry and I, this is my primary thing right here. But, you know, I can go out and play without different people, and so can Jerry. But, no, this is our primary right here. But I'm just doing a few hits with the – you know him by Mitch, right? Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, so I'm doing sure a couple do. games with him yeah, in Chicago and, uh, and, and um, Brooklyn the 24th of June. And we're going out to uh, Chicago in about two weeks doing a little festival out there. So yeah, that's, a, a that's actually turned into, that's turned into a pretty big festival, that one in Chicago. That place is packed every yeah. year. Yeah, man, it's going to be pretty awesome, so I'm looking forward to yeah. that. Uh, that's yeah. great, man. Yeah, TC, when I, when I look back at everything, I mean, you know, from the Plasmatics, the Cherry People, I mean, with, with the, where Punky was in that band, I believe, Urban Peaches, yeah. I mean, you've been all over the place musically. I mean, it's got to be great that you could just bounce around like from genre to genre, like just fit right in like you belong there. I know, man. I'm, I'm blessed like that, you know. Uh, you know, but uh, with my parents, you know, the music that they were listening to, all types of things, blues, rock, jazz, you know, gospel, all kinds of stuff, you know. So that was a big influence on me. Yeah. Do you think a lot of kids today do themselves an injustice by not listening to different styles of music, especially kids that are learning to play instruments and really should, you know, figure out different, you know, styles. I mean, you may have one that you love more than another, but shouldn't you be a little open-minded to everything? You should, man. I mean, you know, come on, that's music. Music is wide open. That's, exactly. the, that's the love of it. So, yeah, open your ears to everything. Exactly. Country, you know, not necessarily I would play country, but, I, hey, I like that, that rock country stuff, man. That's pretty cool, too. So I'm not yeah. going to, you know, blind myself from, you know, just because it's something else that I don't like, you know. No, I open my ears to everything. Same here. It's true. And, you know, a lot, you tell a lot of people, like, you know, I, I'm into blues. I'm like, but you into heavy metal. You know, that kind of came out of hard rock, and that came out of rock and roll, that came out of blues and jazz. Everything came out of that originally. You know, every form of music sort of came out of that over the years. It just evolved into different things. And, you know, you hear so much of everything in that old music. I mean, you can play some classical stuff and say, holy shit. I mean, you know, I could see this being like heavy metal or hard rock back then. Even do it, Beethoven too. You know what I mean? And just rock it up. You know? <laughs> that up, would be man. that would be pretty cool. Nah, we won't let nobody know. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Jerry, you still got Dyer's Eve going, or is that kind of done with? I still got Dyer's Eve going. I still got Conspiracy Chronicles going. And I got this new project called uh, Metal Life Crisis that's going right now, and I'm actually singing in that. So, so you oh, know, still cool. Got, you know, still keep it rolling. So things are, you know, still going. Stay active, man. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, I saw that on Facebook. Do you guys got a show coming up? Yeah, at the Brighton Bar on the 30th of July, we got a show coming up. Oh, man, that's so. going to be great. I'm going to be there for that one. All right, it's going to be great, man. It's going to be cool. It's going to be lots of fun. Yeah. Oh, it should be good. And I'm going to check out TC with Killing at uh, in Brooklyn uh, in June. That's going to oh, be another great show over there. Oh, by the way, Mike, did you get the uh, Ancient Rock uh, CD? I didn't get that one. I was gonna. You're still playing with Joe? Is that something that was done a while ago? Yeah, that was something that was done about three or four years ago. And, and Black no, Widow I never Records. got that. I never it, got that one. Well, Joe usually sends the stuff to me. Yeah, but uh, it should be in your mailbox. Oh, uh, I didn't even uh, check. That. Yeah, I'm sure it's there, man. All right, if I can if I can grab it before the show is over, I'll get something off. If not, we'll do that next week. But we got plenty of music to play today by you guys, so we're, we're good there. Yeah, so, well, uh, yeah, that album been sitting on the shelf for about, what, about three or four years now. 
Wow. And they just re-released it. And I don't know what Joe's going to do when he comes back. He's going on tour with Raven. Yeah. And I, and I don't know what his plans are when he uh, returns, you know. So he might want to get that Hounds of Hassavander together. Yeah, that would be pretty so good. You guys put out some good stuff with that, but uh, we need to get the same live shows around here. It would be great to see you guys out there playing live with that. Yeah, that would be nice too, man. Does that make it hard if you was a drummer playing in the band with another drummer who's on guitar? No, not really. No, not at all. Because I figured Joe was saying his head, you know, I would play differently. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, Joe's a pretty good guitar player as well as a drummer, you know? What he I mean? is. I think it's pretty good. So just like, uh, what's my man's name in uh, uh, the Foo Fighters? Oh, yeah, Dave Grohl. Yeah, like Dave, man. He's a Dave hell of a Grohl. guitar player. And a monster yeah. drummer, you know? Yeah, it's all good, man. I love it. Absolutely. Well, listen, I got to get on a couple of songs by you guys. They're both like eight minutes long. So I'm going to let you just go, man. But I appreciate you being here with me today. And I love talking to you. Uh, where can people go to get the CD, find out what's going on with you guys, your side projects, everything else you have happening? Is Facebook the best place? Uh, you can go to tctoliver.com. Right, that's that's tctoliver.com. And you will see, you know, our shows, what's coming up, what we're doing, the whole nine. And you can also write in. You know, contact me, the whole nine. So, yes, tctoliver.com. And I'm also on uh, Facebook, too, under Gerald Franklin Facebook. So hit me up. You know, all kinds of stuff going on there, too. So check in there. Absolutely, man. I'm looking forward to that. Guys, thank you for being on it today, man. I appreciate it. I'm going to get a nucleopathy because we were talking about that. Then I'll just randomly pick out some other song off the CD for everybody oh, to hear. That's, that's one of my favorites, man. Mine, hey, too. Man, I love thanks, it. Mike. Jerry, TC, you guys take care, man. Great talking to you again. All right, good talking to you, Mike. We'll talk soon. All right. You got it, buddy. Take care. All All right, right, Mr. TC Tolliver, Mr. Jerry Franklin from Franklin Tolliver. Let's get on that song. It's about nine minutes long, so uh, sit back and enjoy the ride.
right, two tunes off the brand new Tolliver Franklin record, Alien Fortress. We started things out there with Nuclear Apathy and that killer song, Godlike, So Electric. Pick it up if you can. Check the guys out on Facebook. It was great catching up with them. It's funny. I mean, the last time we had uh, Jerry Franklin on the show was really like way back in the beginning. I think like the first full year we were on. And he actually remembered Tommy being here. That's how long ago it was. <laughs> Tommy's been MIA for so long now. I don't know what's going on. I figured he would call back in uh, this month when we uh, kind of lighten up the guest load a little bit, but he hasn't. So uh, I'll reach out to him this week and uh, we'll uh, see what's going on with him. All right. We got an interview with Holly Flanagan in about 15 minutes. And then AJ Spiegel from Jack the Ripper will be calling up about 745 We'll get on whatever music we can between now and then. So let's see the brand new Grim Reaper. Excuse me, there. The brand new Grim Reaper record. That was a little tongue twister there. Should be coming out this June. They were planning on doing it in May, but Steve is here in the U.S. right now, uh, wrapping up a tour that he just did. He still sounds great live. So I'm really looking forward to hearing this record. Uh, but it's going to be the first new record I think since 1987, uh, I think. Was the last record that they put out with the with the old lineup, Rocky to Hell? Yeah, I think it was '87. Uh, so I'm curious to see what the new uh, music is going to sound like, especially without Nick Bocat uh, uh, on guitar. He was like the main songwriter in the band, even though he did get up and play a couple of songs with them on this tour. And it was pretty cool to see some of those videos. So uh, I'm wondering what the new album is going to sound like music-wise. I know Steve's voice is in good shape, and uh, we'll see musically what they come up with. I hope they can kind of recreate that classic Grim Reaper sound because I was such a big fan of those guys back in the 80s. Uh, what else is going on? Liv Christine, she kind of stepped down from Levy's Eyes. Uh, and they got a new replacement singer. I can't remember her name. Uh, a Finnish-born uh, singer is going to be fronting that band from now on. And she's married to Alexander Kroll, who's also the other main member in the band who's still in the band. So I don't know what kind of happened there, but we interviewed her not long ago. And it sounded like she kind of just wanted to like maybe uh, stay home and take care of the family. You know, and maybe not be out on the road so much. I think that might be the case. Uh, I'm not too sure. Uh, but we'll see what happens with the band uh, from this point forward. If they keep going or if they kind of pack it in after a while. Sometimes it doesn't work when you change Lee Singers. So we'll have to see what happens there. And speaking about Lee Singers, I guess the TMZ photo of Axl Rose coming out of the studio with ACDC is true. Because they announced it today as official. People are going nuts like he's the new singer of ACDC. He's not the new singer. He's just going to be doing the remaining uh, dates on, on this tour. And I think they have a tour. I, they canceled a whole bunch of dates here in the U.S. Uh, after Brian Johnson you know, realized he couldn't sing anymore because of his hearing. And uh, I think they have a European tour set up. He's only going to be doing that. I don't think he's the new official lead singer. That's not, not what was stated. That he's just filling in. I think it's ridiculous in my opinion. I think when Brian Johnson couldn't do it, they should have just packed it in. I know there's a lot of financial commitment to that, you know, at that stage when you're that big of a band and it's kind of hard to leave that money lying on the table and maybe having to take money out of your own pocket for the cancellations. But, you know, uh, they were saying that they interviewed the, the, the singer of a cover band from ACDC. He was one of the guys that went down that day, a few other people. I guess they were trying to do the, the Ripper Owens, uh, Judas Priest type thing. I don't know. Uh, I think it might have been better if they had just gotten someone like Mark, Mark Storacci from Crocus, who actually tried out for the band. Uh, when Bon Scott passed away and Brian Johnson got that job, that might have been a better deal than going with Axl Rose. Maybe because I'm no fan of Guns N' Roses or Axl Rose altogether, it's bothered me. But ACDC's stock is just like plummeted in the eyes of the hard rock community. I mean, I've never seen people turn on a band so quick. I mean, since the only people that are that are for this are the fans of Guns N' Roses and Axl Rose. Most of the diehard ACDC fans are like just like up in arms over this. And I got to be honest, I, I don't blame them. 
I mean, you know, I haven't heard anything from Brian Johnson yet about this. He might be quiet on, on the issue, uh, but I'm sure somewhere down the road, uh, he'll be uh, coming out and talking about really what, what's going on. You know, it probably is a hearing, uh, but there's more to it than that, I think, because they just made some statement like, uh, what did they say here? I think I wrote it down really quick. Uh, ACDC says in a statement, ACDC band members would like to thank Brian Johnson for his contributions and dedication to the band throughout the years. We wish him all the best with his hearing issues and future endeavors. Now, that sounds like something you give an employee who's worked at a company for 15 years and you had to lay them off, like, you know, on a plaque, like when they leave. That's something you say, you know, a bandmate who's been in the band for 30 something years. And let's face it, ACDC were a great band uh, with Bon Scott. They were getting to be a big band, but they went to a whole nother level with Back in Black and with Brian Johnson fronting them. That just sounds really cold to me, you know? Uh, you know like they lost Malcolm Young earlier, you know, in the year, uh, or last year, I should say you know, uh, with the Alzheimer's and everything. So he's gone. So obviously it's Angus running the show and making these calls. And it's just a shitty thing, if you ask me. They should just, Kyron said it, they should just retire. They should just pack it in. That's it. It isn't like, you know, they didn't make the money or make the mark. Uh, why sully all those years of being such a great band by doing this? I don't get it. I mean, I'm looking at it from my point of view. I'm sure Angus Young has his point of view also. Uh, but, you know, you're there for one reason, because of the fans and for the fans. And uh, I don't think any of them really want this. And they think, I think the real fans would rather see you guys pack it in than to continue with Axl Rose, even, even for a limited time, and a different singer after that. Uh, that's just how I feel about it. So we'll see what happens. All right. Another jibber-jabbering over there. Let's get some brand new music on. Flotsam and Jetsam have a new self-titled record coming out real soon. We'll have some of the guys from the band on probably next month. Uh, everybody's been playing that song, Iron Maiden. So let's get on a different tune and uh, see how it goes. I'm just going to randomly pick a tune up for the record and we'll listen to it together. Here's Verge of Tragedy.
All right, faithful breath with gold and glory. You know, I got to see those guys live uh, where I live now in Staten Island, but back then I lived in Brooklyn back in the, in the mid-'80s. Uh, out here, some small club, I think it was called Club Intimate, and uh, Tommy's old band, Tempest, had opened up for them. And I forgot there was another local band on the bill. I have to check with Tom and see who it was. And I got to interview those guys. And uh, on one of the forums I'm in, I had put a copy of that live show. If I remember, they did like four or five songs. And they walked off stage because it was such a small club. And like nobody was there. Most people that were there were there for the opening acts, which was Tommy's band. And I want to say it was a band Nightmare. I don't remember. I have to check with Tommy. Uh, but they weren't happy about the size of the crowd and where they were set up to play. I mean, it was like some small place way out in the boondocks of Staten Island. Uh, but at least I got to see them. So I was pretty happy about that. All right. I got to speak to Holly Flanagan, the ex-bass player for the Cro-Mags and Holly's War. And he's got his own new record out called the Cro-Mags. The album's called Cro-Mags. Holly was a great guy to talk with. We, we spoke during the week. So I'm going to get the interview on in two minutes. But let's do a little Cro-Mags tune before we do that. And they'll play some songs off the brand new Holly Flanagan record when the interview is over. Here's Show No Mercy. Uh, some classic Chrome mags. Like I said, I spoke with Holly this week. We'll get that interview on right now. Holly is a legend in the New York hardcore scene and in hardcore in general. Uh, he was a little apprehensive uh, with questions during this interview, I felt. But I got it because he has a brand new book coming out. And it wasn't released yet. He doesn't want to give away too much info and tell too many stories. Because you know, he wants people to buy the book and read them. And I completely understand that. But he had a lot to say about everything going on in the scene and everywhere else. So let's get interview on right now. Yo, Holly, this is Mike. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great, man. It's real nice talking with you today. Awesome, man. It's good to be here, man. Well, we're not live, are we? No, no, we're recording it for this oh, week's Oh, okay, show. cool. Okay, I didn't know. I was like, what's up, man? How are you? 
this, uh, this is way too early to do any show for anybody. Yeah, man. I was like, hold on a second. This is... <laughs> Yeah. Hey, listen, I, I got to tell you, I go back with you and your music to the very early 80s. I was there for those early cro days and everything you did after that. But this new record, man, I mean, you've always written from the heart, where you came from, your environment. But, man, you really dug deep on this new one. Well, you know what? I didn't even have to dig at all. <laughs> that was like <laughs> right on the surface. You know, it, you know, it's like uh, there, was, there was so much going on that I, I couldn't really, I couldn't get my mind anywhere else unfortunately you know i mean i'm in a much better place now but you know that that was a rough period man it's like you know not only did you know i go through all kinds of uh you know am i, am I allowed to talk or wait am i allowed to curse on this because i'll restrain yeah myself. you can curse yeah you can curse you can <laughs> I, say say, you I was going not that i you know i'm going out of my way too but i was going through a lot of rough shit right around then you know i mean it's like without getting into all the Chromex drama and this and that, it's like, you know, I got jumped, I got arrested, I was facing, you know, going to jail for a good amount of time, and all I did was defend myself, you know, and there was a lot of things that were just like, it was, it was like I was getting hit with everything, and and as an artist, that's really, you know, I'm, I've always, like you said, I've always been honest with what I do, I write from the heart, and that was just what I was going through, you know, it would have been impossible for me to write about anything else, you know. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, you could definitely say I'm it was glad rough. to have that all behind me, you know. I'm glad and, and too, it man. Really, you know, to be honest, it was a, uh, it was actually uh, very therapeutic for me to be able to do that record and get all that off my chest. You know what I'm saying? So, but uh, I was gonna say, yeah, man, when you when you're all writing like that, and you're in that kind of mood, and you know, you're trying to, you know, it's like a way of venting also and getting everything out, like you were saying. But does it kind of rehash a lot of stuff and just make you more angry, or do you just feel like this is your way of cleansing your soul and getting everything out? Uh, you know, it, I don't know if it's really intentional. It's just that uh, I, I've always had I, I well, you know, I, I work with my with my real life experiences. That's what I write from. You know, I always that that to me was always the essence of what hardcore music was. You know, like having a certain honesty and and writing about life as opposed to writing about you know slaying dragons and and all kinds of shit that i thought was ridiculous about heavy metal when i was a kid you know that's like that to me was the big difference when i was young was like we were writing about real life and writing about the streets and writing about what we were going through and as much as i have always loved you know I, to me rock is rock i love metal i love hardcore whatever whatever but i always got a little you know i always thought the the fantasy side of rock music was a little bit ridiculous. Just to me. Yeah. You know? yeah. I, I think a lot of people felt that way at one point or another. And you got to remember, you know, we came up to a time where, you know, before punk rock came about, heavy metal, like in the early days, like Black Sabbath and stuff like that is all we had to latch on to. Well, yeah, once, see, you know, that's a little world. older than me even, you know. You know, I actually, to be honest, Sabbath is one of my favorite all-time ever bands, but... I didn't even get into them until like 1981 because I was into punk rock. You know, I yeah. kind of wrote them off. I was like, I thought they were a bunch of hippies. I really didn't know no better. You know, <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and, and actually, you know, if you really think about it, that was pre-heavy metal. I mean, that was kind of like blues rock. I mean, they didn't, sure. I, I don't consider Sabbath really a, a quote-unquote metal band until like the, the Dio era. That was when they were really metal you know what i mean before that it was, yeah. i mean come on 
the wizard and all that stuff, that's, I wouldn't call that metal. I, I think it's way more organic. You know what I mean? Sure. Well, what exactly drew you to the punk rock scene? Because for me, I know back in the, in the late 70s, I was looking for something different. I wanted to be a part of something that, that felt special, that wasn't the norm. Uh, what made, I mean, you've been involved in this since you were, I mean, literally a, a little kid with the simulators and, and on. Yeah, I mean, no, dude. I Look, I was, when the Sex Pistols came out with Nevermind the Bollocks, I was 10. So, you know, it was like, that was just, uh, that was, before that, you know, I mean, I, I I was a kid. I listened. I was always into music my whole life. I mean, I've been, you know, my family was musical. I, I, I've been going to shows since I was a baby. I mean, my mom used to take me to see, I mean, oh, Christ, I, I grew up on music I, in, in clubs as long as I can remember. But when punk rock happened, it was just, uh, it was so radically different and new and, and the, the energy, the, the whole vibe really just a, appealed to me at, you know and uh so that's what i got into i mean i i didn't grow up on kiss and stuff like that you know what i'm saying i didn't i, I didn't need that that wasn't my thing you know um in fact it's funny because i remember when i was a little kid and uh blizzard of oz was playing at the palladium and i went to school on uh 20th street so i used to walk underneath the awning at the palladium every day on my way to school and i remember thinking to myself what kind of stupid name is Blizzard of Oz? Like, I didn't even know. Like, I didn't even know. You know, I didn't even catch up on that shit till later, you know. And I remember being in school and, like, the few, you know, the Rockheads, they were into, like, you know, Rush, ACDC, Van Halen. You know, there wasn't, you know, there was the few rock heads in school. Everybody else was in the disco, you know. So it was, like, before hip-hop even, you know. Yeah, and, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was like the rock disco wars. And so, of course, punk rock, we were, like, even below that. Like, you know, we got fucked <laughs> yeah. with by everybody. Like, the rock heads, the disco yeah. heads, like, we were, like, the bottom of the barrel. You know, like, you'd walk down the street if you were punk rock, and you were going to get fucked with, you know. If, you know, so, but the whole thing of, you know, look, I lived on the Lower East Side. Shit was rough. Like, you know, it, it was... A lot of crime, a lot of drugs everywhere. I was like one of the only white kids in my neighborhood. It was just rough. So to me, bands like Van Halen jumping around in spandex and seeing about jump and this and that, that shit just wasn't, didn't, it didn't, that was not what I was wanting to hear. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. for me, I needed more aggressive music, you know, especially when things like the Bad Brains came into the picture. And, you know, all that, the early hardcore bands, it was like all of a sudden you had things like Black Flag and Circle Jerks and yeah, Minor Threat started coming through town. It was like that, that got me, you know. It, it was. You know, it's funny. When you talk about the Lower East Side, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm from New York City myself. I spent half my life down there. And you look at it today, I'm like, people that <laughs> think of the Lower East Side today Dude, don't know what the Lower East Side is all kidding. about. <laughs> It's not even the Lower East Side anymore. Bro, <laughs> that, I walk around down there. Me, I walk around, and it's like I see a mural of CBGBs. And it's like, <laughs> to me, that's, like, so sad. It's like, yeah. you know, I see, like, I see pictures on, you know, I was walking by, and there's, like, this cardio kickboxing class with all these, like, in their yoga pants, like, pretending to box, and 
on the front yeah. of the place, there's all this whole, all these pictures of the Ramones and Sid Vicious, and I'm like, that shit is funny, because like Sid was like a dope fiend. The Ramones used to, were like writing songs about Huff and Glue, and they're on the front of this cardiac kickbox thing, like down the block from the CBGBs, which is now a clothing store, and 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 yeah. there's a mural of CBs, and I'm like, yo, this whole neighborhood, it's like some sort of a memorial or shrine to what it no longer is. Yeah. You know? But they glorify it like it was, you know, they glorify like they, they Yeah. Well like they, they 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 still want it to be cool, so they have to glorify it because that was the heyday of New York. But now it's yep. like you're paying like three thousand dollars for a studio apartment, you know? It's like know. it's insane. Yeah. I, I don't go down there man. Yeah. I avoid yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, Vinny Stigma's still holding out hope. <laughs> yeah, he's still holding on, but you know, he's one of the old, old, old school, you know, he's been, uh, he lived in the, you know, he's old, he's older than all of us, so, you know, he's, yep. I've known him since Christ, I mean, he, I think he took over his grandmother's apartment down in Little Lily, that's been in his family forever, so, you know, some people are yeah. lucky like that, they managed to hold on to their shit, you know. I know. You have to tell me. I know about that. Well, you know, Holly, you were talking about the Bad Brains a little while ago. And if I remember, weren't you offered the sink for the Bad Brains when, when HR was kind of on the way out? or, or nah, one of the nah, I the mean, band? that was a rumor? I or think was it... to, to, Tony, the manager, said that, like, the first, first time that he bailed out back in, like, the early 80s that he had suggested, he told me he had suggested something, but no, nah, no, nah, we never talked about nothing like that. I mean, I used to jam with those guys when I was a kid. Sometimes, you know, I'd play drums with them and, you know, I've jammed on stage with them on drums and whatever, you know, they're like, they're family to me, but no, nah, no, nah, that's, that's a rumor. Yeah, that's I figured John's that. Thing. That's not me. And that, because that was in the very early days of the Cro-Mags when, when you guys were just kind of getting things going. And when you look back now, I mean, do you realize how innovative what you were doing was? Because it was a step way beyond the stimulators and the punk scene of the late 70s. Uh, you and know, pre-metal. I, I, when I started writing those songs, I knew I was on to something. I mean, but I, I had no idea that it would have the lasting impact or the type of ripple effect that it, that it did. You know, because honestly... You know, back then, I mean, I was living in a squat and stuff. I didn't really think much beyond survival. You know, I wasn't really thinking about the future. Most people didn't think I was going to make it past 18. You know, I was I was a wild kid. So, you know, I, but musically, I knew I was doing something, you know, because the influences that I was drawing on, you know, I, I, at that point, I had already discovered Black Sabbath. So I was like, you know, you have... Bad Brains was a big influence on me. Motorhead, you know, had just came out with, like, Ace of Spades. And um, so Bad Brains, Motorhead, Early Discharge, you know, they, these are the type of Venom. I, I was, I used to love Venom, you know. So I was already starting to draw on metal. And um, Mackie was, you know, he was always into fusion and all different types of music. And, and I, I was too. So really, I was drawing on a lot of different stuff. I, I knew it was going to be. That was the whole idea. Yeah, you knew it was going to be something, and, and it really was. But when you, when you look back in those early days, and you go back to the Crow Mags, I mean, it seems like the band was almost doomed to fail from the beginning because it was like one thing after the other. Whether it was Mackie leaving during the Motorhead tour, yeah, or, man, you, you know what? Yeah, you, look, I, I, 
in the, I got the book coming out soon, and it know, pretty much wait. breaks it all down. I mean, it's like, you know, I and it, it was kind of doomed to fail in a lot of ways, but at the same time, it, it was, uh, and those days were great, you know. It, as much as I can't stand any of those guys, I have really good memories of them, you know, and, and I would, you know, I'd, I'd get together with all of them in a heartbeat just because, you know, at the end of the day, to me, the, the good outweighs the bad, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. You know, with, with the new record, I mean, you, you named the Crow Magazine record. So, I mean, I mean, it's so much a part of your life, that band. And all the shit that went down yeah. over the years. I mean, it's hard. I don't want to get into it because, like I said, you do got the book coming out, and I want people to buy the book, you know, to read all these stories. And I don't want you to tell everybody everything right here and kind of give yeah, it no, all away. Yeah, I definitely can't get into too much of it, but I'll just tell you this: um, Anthony Bourdain read it, and he fucking loved it. He actually yeah. did the blurb for the back page. I mean, so you know, it, if he thinks it's a good book, it's got to be pretty decent because he's. He, I would he knows think so. Yeah, <laughs> you know. I would think so. <laughs> I, I can only imagine, but I mean, this is, is this book just, it's not just a Chromax book about your time at Chromax. Oh, it's no, really no, not at all, not it's at all, everything. man. I mean, I talk about the stimulators days, and, I, and you know, I talk about where I grew up, and, you know, my family's got a pretty crazy history, too. I mean, you know, people wonder how I got into everything so young, you know, it, it didn't just happen. I mean, it happened for a reason. It's because I come from a long line of freaks, you know. <laughs> like, everybody <laughs> in my family was, was involved in music or was involved in something, so... You know, if if I wouldn't have got into something, that would have been weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, I mean, basically, like what you say about your family and, and where you grew up and the environment. I mean, you were over in Europe. You were here. I mean, did you feel like you kind of had to grow up faster than most kids would of at 10 years old? Oh, dude. Uh, I, I don't think most people can even comprehend it, you know. It's like, I, you know, again, I don't want to get into it because I don't want to wreck the stories. But it's just like, dude, you know. Yeah, everything happened way earlier than it was supposed to, <laughs> you know. I mean, when you're like, you know, when you're drumming in a in a band at Max's Kansas City, you know, back in the heyday of New York and, and the drug culture and all the madness, you know, Johnny Thunders, all these people running around and you're like 12 years old. You know, dude, I mean, I, I had, you know, 18, 19-year-old chicks coming after me when I was like not even in puberty yet. So, I mean, my life started real young and real crazy. I mean... You know, I was surrounded by madness, dude. It's it's amazing that I'm alive. I mean, <laughs> I, I know. I mean, I mean I, dude, it was I, nuts. I, I mean, look, you'll read it, man. You you'll read it. it you know. Uh, I mean, I've been around the scene my whole life, and I know, but I, I do remember uh, back in the 80s, uh, I think it was Metal Forces Magazine. I mean, I can barely remember yesterday, man, so don't don't, don't go for me quote for quote, but I remember when you went to Harry Krishna back then. I don't know if you still are or not, but you were talking hey, about... Hey, you know what? Honestly, that helped me a lot, just because at, at that time, I needed something, you know? I needed something that kind of, like, pulled me out of the madness a little bit, and even if it was that, like... Just something that, that would give you some, you know, it, it could have been Buddhism. It could have been anything. I just needed something to give me a little bit yeah. of a of a direction to pull me out of the madness. Because, I mean, even Roger from Agnostic Front was like, yo, man, if you didn't get into that shit, you would have been dead or in jail. Because the way you were going, you know, you couldn't have lasted too much longer. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was getting in fights every night. I was getting high, drinking like crazy all the time. I mean, and I was young. You know, yeah. and people forget, like, everybody on the scene, most of them were a little older than me, 
and I had also been around a lot longer than them. You know, most of those hardcore guys, they got into hardcore. They weren't there in the old days of the of the New York punk scene, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, man, it was, uh, I needed that, and, uh, and it was a good thing. But, you know, what? I'm not into any kind of organized religions at all. I mean, you know, and I, I, I think all that shit is suspect, and, you know, all that preaching bullshit. I mean, for me, it's like, you know, I think people are going to figure out what's going on if they just try, you know? Yeah, got to open their minds a little. But what I was getting is yeah. that you were talking about reincarnation. Is that something that you still feel strongly about or believe in? Well, you know what? I think we're, you know, experiencing some some level of that even in this lifetime alone. I mean, if you know, if you just think about the journey of, of your own life, you know, how many different stages you go through. I mean, look, I... I don't claim to know anything. That's what I've learned is, you know, I don't know what happens after I die. I just know yeah. what's going on now. I think anybody who says with any kind of certainty that they do is automatically full of shit. You know, it's that simple. I don't, I don't want to hear it. You don't know. Yeah. You're still walking the surf. So, so don't fucking tell me. But That's right. I think, it's, I think it's important to have some kind of a, you know, to have some sort of spiritualism just to get by you have to you have to uh you know there's more to life than what we can see but don't 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 give me no bullshit you know what i'm saying i hear you do you think you're getting softer as you get older uh, no i don't think so i think you 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 start to see things a little clearer you know i freaking i definitely don't feel like i've gotten soft i fucking teach jujitsu six days a week you know <laughs> No, I don't mean but, physical. Uh, I mean, I, I've seen you. No, you're, no, you're an amazing I, I, You know what? <laughs> no, I, I, even, like, you know, it's just, like, even with the Chromex dudes, like, I don't have the type of hate that I did at one point. Like, you know, that album was really a, a, a release in a lot of ways. Like I said, I was going through a lot with that, but, like, that that hate, that anger, it's that negativity, man, that, that gets in your way. Who wants to live like that? Life is too short to walk around, you know, pissed off. I mean, yeah, you just got to let go, man. At the end of the day, I know it sounds corny and shit, but well, love is the answer, <laughs> you know. I mean, you know, I don't want to sound like some kind of fucking hippie or some shit, but, you know, like, you know, you can't go through life pissed off about everything and full of hatred. It just doesn't get you anywhere. I know. Well, what would you write that out, though? Huh? Hey, well, hey, you know what? You got there, right? Hey, you know, I'm still uh, working on it, man. We're all works in, pro in progress, you know. That's I'm actually right. all, already, right. like, halfway done with writing the next album. I got, like, eight songs done already, and I'm planning to get into the studio pretty soon. So, like, maybe the end of May or something like that, you know, start tracking some demos. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm on fire right now, dude. <laughs> hey, that's the way it should be. But what about getting out there and playing live? You going to put a band together behind this and go out? Uh, I have guys that I've been touring with, uh, that I was touring with, and, and still are ready to go. But you know what? We haven't really been getting the, the type of offers that we need right now in order to make it worth any of our time, you know? Um, it's like, you know, I'm a grown man. It's like I'm in my 40s. I don't got energy or time to, like, pile into a van, drive six hours to go do a show or something like that, or, you know, it's got to be worth my time. It's got to be the right gig. It's got to be something I want to do. Otherwise, you know, I'm yeah. pretty content, man. I, I, I like yeah. my life. I like living where I live. I like waking up with my wife. I like uh, 
doing what I do. I love my job, too. So it's like it, the gigs have got – I miss playing, but it's got to be a gig I really want to do where the, the money's got to be right because, you know, I'm content. I don't, yeah. have, I don't have that need to run around, you know. I know. Well, you know what? Priorities change over your lifetime. Like you said, when you were 19 years old, you didn't think twice about jumping in a van and driving 10 hours. But now with a wife, well, the thing kids, is, I also was living in a squat then. So it's like, you know, for me, being on tour meant I was going to eat. You know, like, yeah. okay, I'm going to be in a hotel. Okay, I'm going to actually have a roof over my head. I'm not going to be in the fucking sea squat. So, yeah, put me on tour, you know. Back then, it was like, that got me out of. Now it's like, yeah, do I really want to, like... Drive eight hours, six hours, this and that. How many days? Oh fuck, you know. And it's like, you know yeah. what? Honestly, if you, I, I believe if your heart ain't in it, you 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 shouldn't do it. You know. So, I do want to gig and stuff, but it's got to be the right show. That's all. You know. Yeah. Somebody comes at me with the right gig, like uh, you know, with the right bands, right money, right place. I'll be like, I'm there in a second, man. I love to play. But I have just as much fun playing with my guys in the studio, right? I love the creative process, dude. I write songs every day. First thing I do when I wake up, after I, like, walk my dogs and get my shit together, I pick up my instrument and, and write something. Before I go to bed at night, I write something. That's what I do every day. It's, you know, that's when I have my most creative times musically is in the early day and at night. So I always write something. Hey, that's the most important thing. Hey, Holly, I'm not going to keep you, man. When, you, when this book comes out, we're gonna, you got to come on. We're going to do come on to the live show. We'll do this again. That way we can talk about oh, a lot more stuff. Because I don't want to give it all away either because, you know, you got to sell that book, you know? Hey, look, when, when you have it and you read it, then we'll talk, okay? We'll get together. You got it, brother. I'm looking forward to that. All right, man. I'll, I'll speak to you soon, man. You got it. Take care, Holly. This. Wait a minute. I'm going to. What am I going to do here?
All right, Tension with Reach for Your Soul. And right before that, off the new Holly Flanagan record, Come in Peace. It's a great album, very reminiscent of the old Chromax songs that he used to write for them. Pick it up if you have a chance, grab yourself a copy of it. All right, AJ Spiegel from Jack the Ripper. We'll be calling in in about five minutes. We'll get on a tune off the record. Uh, we'll do the interview, get on another tune, and maybe we'll play a few more songs before we wrap it up here today. Uh, I saw that Abe's Freely was hospitalized the other day for exhaustion. He's probably exhausted trying to remember the words and how to play the songs because the last time I saw him on stage, he couldn't remember how to play half the songs. He had to keep stopping and starting over again. He kept forgetting the lyrics. I'm sure that is exhausting. <laughs> yeah. But that's Ace Freely for you. All right, let's get on a song from Jack the Ripper. Uh, they got a record out now on Heaven and Hell called Tortured and Twisted. A lot of your classic cuts have been remastered and put out for everybody. We'll get out a tune from that. AJ should be calling in right afterwards, and then we'll get that interview going. So let me see what I could do for us first. How about the, we'll do Chambers of Darkness. Here you go.
Jack the Ripper with Chambers of Darkness. I tell you, that sounds great, you know. They were a really good act back in the day. I wish more would happen for them back then. Uh, but I'm glad that, you know, this music is seeing the light of day now and a lot of people are getting to appreciate it because uh, they really were a good band. I tell you, this sounds great for something. I believe this was from 81. Uh, we'll ask AJ about that when he calls in. I believe these songs were cut back in the, in the early 80s, so pretty good quality, too, on top of them. A lot of stuff didn't really hold up back then. You know, bands had to record on the cheap because they didn't have a lot of money, but it sounds like there was some time put into this. And we'll find out a little bit more when AJ calls in any minute now. Uh, let me see. We were talking before about the show. Uh, There's going to be a great bunch of shows coming up. This is what I miss having Kenny on here because this can't even come on here and remind me and everybody else about all the concerts coming into the tri-state area. Uh, but uh, this June is looking great. We have uh, Jack Panzer coming to the St. Vitus Bar. Uh, Killen will be playing there with uh, TC Tolliver on drums, like we spoke a lot a little while ago. Ruthless are heading here in July. Uh, they got a couple of shows, uh, one in Brooklyn. I think they're setting up another one in New Jersey. So it'd be great to see those guys make it to the East Coast the first time ever. And, you know, I've been a fan of this since the very early 80s. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. All right, I believe we have AJ on the line. Let's connect them. Let's get this interview going. AJ, this is Mike. How are you? I'm doing fine, Mike. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Pleasure to have you on here today. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on your show. Uh, listen, I'm a big fan, and I go back to demo tape trading days in the early 80s, again, the copy of that first demo tape, and being a fan, since I remember Ripper and Gargoyle and Burning Hell were on there, and I was such a big fan of you guys, but in those days before the internet, it was kind of hard to keep up on what was going on with bands that weren't in you know your local area. Uh, so let's kind of like go back to the early days of the band. The band really got started in the very early 80s. Uh, yes. Uh, well, the whole idea came, uh, I had been, uh, prior to uh, 1980, I had been played in uh, several um, uh, hard rock cover bands, and uh, I, I just got really tired of playing other people's music. And uh, I decided I wanted to uh, put together a, a band of my own that uh, was much heavier and uh, I don't know, was geared to more of what the uh, audience uh, would really be looking for. And uh, anyway, like I said, that uh, those th thought process started in January of 1980. And uh, uh, what I did is uh, I, uh, uh, first of all, got hooked up with a, uh, a local artist friend of mine who was uh, excellent at, at coming up with uh, unique drawings. And, uh, you know, we, uh, I, uh, we came up with the, the name, the logo, and uh, everything else because uh, I figured uh, those things were just as important uh, in the uh, development of a uh, of a band uh, as well as the music was. And uh, once I uh, got all that stuff taken care of, we started. Uh, well, I started working on writing songs, and uh, I uh, I don't know. I uh, wanted to write tunes that I personally would you know like to see or like to hear. And uh, always with the audience in mind. And uh, then uh, after that was done, uh, I uh, began my, my journey to uh, find uh, uh, other musicians that were on the same page as I was. 
was that a hard part? Because now you're talking, like I say, 1980, South Carolina, not exactly known as being a hotbed of heavy metal back in the day. The scene was still kind of underground back then. I mean, really underground. It was just kind of taken off here in the U.S. And now you're looking for four or five other guys to play with that kind of have the same vision as you. You're already talking about branding. Like you were really right on top of the branding of the band with the logos and the artwork. And not a lot of people think about that that early on. But you know, you know, you kind of knew what you wanted to do. Was it hard to find people to right. play with that had the same vision? Uh, well, uh, actually, it really was. I uh, I ca- uh, auditioned countless of guy, uh, fellas from uh, South Carolina, Georgia, northern Florida, even uh, parts of uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. And, uh, uh, it, uh, you know, I, I, I was having such a very difficult time fa- uh, finding musicians that uh, thought along the same lines as I did. And were you know dedicated to uh, making this uh, this uh, band concept work, and uh, I uh, I was either either by sheer luck or uh, by providence I was uh, you know uh, I had uh, made a connection with a a, a a drummer named Bob Snigon who actually was born in England and uh, had moved down to Columbia from the Washington D.C. area, and uh, at the time I was managing a music store in Columbia. And uh, he happened to come in and uh, put a uh, card on our musicians board. And uh, I uh, constantly uh, checked that board every day to uh, see if there were any possible uh, musicians that uh, I could uh, recruit to, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, to uh, put this band together. And uh, when uh, I spoke with him and uh, I, uh, you know, he auditioned with me, uh, I was so blown away at the professionalism of this uh uh, drummer that uh, I knew uh, he uh, he was a perfect fit for uh, Jack the Ripper. Well, that was good. So you got one piece of the puzzle put together. Now, what about the rest? Were you yeah. looking for a, a two guitar? Were you looking to be a two guitar player band from the beginning? Uh, not initially. Uh, you know that was something that uh, you know I, I was playing around with that idea in the back of my head. My my next uh, uh, music. You know the the next piece of the puzzle I had to find was a uh, an excellent bass player. And uh, there again, you know, uh, uh, me uh, being the manager of this uh, particular music store in uh, Columbia, uh, there was a, a young fellow that came in from a, a neighboring town, and uh, he was with a friend of his, and uh, I believe his friend was uh, looking to purchase uh, either an instrument or some strings. I, I don't exactly remember which. But uh, anyway, Kenny Moore uh, asked me, he said, uh, you don't mind if I uh, try a couple of basses out that you, you – guys have hanging up on the wall and i said absolutely not and uh anyway uh he uh went ahead and plugged up and uh i tell you what uh, the uh you know the guy was just phenomenal he uh, he reminded me so much of uh uh steve harris iron maiden i i was just blown away he, he did not use a pick he used his fingers and yeah. uh but he uh, he had such a such a knowledge of the of the uh, fretboard for somebody uh, his age, it, uh, it it just blew my mind. And That's uh, you know, he I, I I yeah, I had asked him if uh, he was playing with anybody. He said no, and uh, you know, that's when I got his uh, his information and uh, spoke to him later that week and uh, said, look, you know, hey, would you be willing to try out? Is this something that uh, you think you might be interested in? And uh, you know, one thing led to another, and he was uh, puzzle piece number two that. Uh, that uh, was incorporated in the band. And uh, then the next uh, person uh, was uh, uh, our, our lead vocalist, uh, Mad Max Hernandez. Uh, 
kind of a very unusual fellow, uh, you know, uh, unusual in a good way. Uh, he, uh, he was his own, he was his own guy. He had his own ideas about doing things. And he was, uh, uh, what struck me was, uh, he was very confident, but he didn't have any kind of, uh, I don't know, ego or arrogance about him, you know? And, and I told him, I said, look, you know, uh, to be a vocalist in a, in a high, in a high energy band, as far as what I want to put together, you know, you, you've, uh, there's going to be, uh, you know, tremendous, uh, stress and uh not only on uh, you being a member of the band but you know your, your personal life you know you you got to put the band first and everything else has to take a back seat yeah and uh you know uh, max kind of blew me away with his uh number one with his dedication and his uh his vocal ability and uh and i told him i said the bottom line was uh the tape doesn't lie you know when you're when you uh when you're recording and uh, you go back and uh, listen to the uh the uh, the audio uh, you're you're either going to be able to do it or you can't do it you know there there was no in between and uh, anyway like I said he uh, he surprised the hell out of me and uh, just was a, a fantastic vocalist he really was and then I guess the last member to hook up with was Dave uh, yes uh, I had known Dave Swisher uh, he had uh, was sort of a, vet, a veteran guitarist in the Columbia area and had uh, played with uh, quite a few bands. And uh, uh, the band he was with at the time, the reason I, you know, I, I didn't approach him, he was with a band called the uh, Iron City Angels, and they were on the verge of uh, signing a deal with Warner Brothers. And, uh, you know, I had, you know, prior to him uh, ever even uh, you know, considering about, you know, joining Jack the Ripper, I had wished him the best of luck and uh, didn't hear anything from him for a while. And then uh, the the next time I saw him, he told me that uh, everything was uh, was ready to go. Uh, and then their uh, their drummer ends up uh, disappearing, and uh, that was the end of that because uh, they uh, they uh, they obviously you know without a drummer they had no band you know they 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 couldn't uh, sign the contracts and they couldn't uh, move forward with Warner Brothers and Warner Brothers you know just uh, went on to somebody else, which, uh, you know, I think was a shame because, you know, I think in the music industry at the time, uh, you know, you had uh, doors opening and closing. And when those doors open, you got to jump in that door or that opening yeah. before it closes because it, it may never open again. That's and, true. A lot uh, of people don't anyway, realize that. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, uh, timing is everything. You know, and I, and I believe with, uh, with our band uh, – if a couple things had been changed here or there, or, you know, uh, we had made decisions uh, uh, earlier or maybe even later that, uh, you know, there's uh, no telling how far uh, this, this band could have gone. I, I agree. Cause you had everything going for you. I mean, you had the music, the music was there. It doesn't get any better than that. Were there any opportunities during those early years, you know, the early to mid eighties where there were offers from labels, whether they were small independent labels or bigger labels, or it didn't, it didn't never get to that point. Uh, well, you know, we, with our, uh, we had a three song demo tape that uh, we uh, had to uh, come up with. And, uh, uh, I had sent out promo packs to, uh, let me think, uh, noise international, uh, heavy metal records, uh, new Renaissance, e even combat got one. And, uh, I was just surprised that I got absolutely no uh, response from any of these record companies. And, uh, the only thing in the back of my mind that, that, uh, I, that, uh, that I was wondering about what maybe it was because this band was based in South Carolina and 
the South at the time had been known, you know, was known for Southern rock. And, yeah. uh, we, we were, we were nowhere near. I mean, we had no connection with Southern rock whatsoever, even though, uh, uh, uh a lot of people don't know this either. Uh, out of the five band members, only, only two of the fellas were actually from South Carolina. I, uh, I uh, moved down to Columbia from New York city. Uh, Bob, like I said, uh, was uh, born in England and, uh, actually he had, uh, come from England and gone to Denver, Colorado, and then his father was transferred uh, to uh, Washington, D.C., and then from Washington, D.C., he had come down to Columbia. And, uh, uh, of course, uh, Max uh, actually is a, is a Cuban-American, and yeah. uh, so he was, not from, he was not from South Carolina either. And uh, it's kind of an odd mix between all five of us, but I tell you what, uh, the way everything came together, you know, it was like everybody had their uh, their head on the same page, and we knew what we wanted to do, and we were willing to put in whatever amount of time it took to make this thing as professional as possible. We uh, we actually practiced four nights a week, four to five hours a night, which, uh, you know, you uh, I, don't, I don't know uh, compared to other bands. You know, to me, uh, that's, uh, that's pretty dedicated, particularly the fact that uh, we had day jobs. So, you know, as soon as our jobs were over, we would head right on over to the practice house, get down to business. There was no uh, no goofing around or, you know, uh, everything was uh, strictly business. And, uh, that, that is that, a lot of time to put into it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, that's a lot. Our, uh, you know, we uh, our, our our philosophy was if you want to be professional, you have to you have to put in the work and you have to put in the time and you have to be dedicated. You know, you know, we. Uh, we prided ourselves in never doing anything half-assed. Everything was 110% uh, dedication, uh, and uh, we put our, all our ability and talents into uh, to putting out the best available uh, metal music for the for the fans. Yeah, it, it definitely had to have been a tough go for a lot of bands, not just yourself. That you know, there, there was so much going on in New York and and in California and in LA, you know, specifically that you know that's what record labels had to do was go there, like and handpick a couple of groups out for everybody else in the middle. It had to be a hard sell, especially when you come from a place where it's not known. Like I said, it's not known for their metal scene, and it's not known for having like a lot of bands in there. So it had to have been even like uh, twice as hard of a sell, like trying to get people to recognize you. Oh yeah, sure. Well, I tell you what, one thing that uh, I was hoping would have helped us, uh, there was a uh, company out in California called the Record Exchange, and there uh, it was owned by a gentleman named Bill Burkhart. And uh, I had, uh, you know, since I I personally am a huge metal fan myself, and uh, uh, I I would do business with that uh, uh, gentleman uh, over the phone, you know, ordering uh, new uh, albums and. And, and different things that I couldn't get anywhere in the U.S. And uh, anyway, he had uh, just uh, casually asked me one day when I was placing an order. He said, uh, you don't happen to play in a band, do you? And I said, uh, yes, I do. I said, well, why? Uh, you know, what? Uh... Anyway, he had told me he was uh, starting a, a record label called First Strike Records. And, uh, you know, gave me the particulars about it. And also... Uh, throughout the fact that uh, another band that he uh, wanted to put on his label that had really no t U.S. ties was a band called Loudness from Japan. And apparently at the time, yeah. Loudness was not known by hardly anybody in the United States. And uh, what uh, Mr. Burkhart wanted to do, he wanted to put out an album with us and with Loudness and have the two of us tour together, first uh, do a U.S. tour and then go overseas and do a European tour and then finally a Japanese tour. 
which to us, I mean, that that was just awesome. You know, he, uh, uh, you know, I, we, we couldn't ask for, uh, you know, that uh, that kind of uh, uh, response from somebody who was interested. But anyway, I told him, I said, okay. I said, uh, we had just recorded our 10-song uh, album, Tortured and Twisted, which uh, had, had uh, never been released. And uh, we did. Uh, we actually recorded that album in, uh, I think, November, it was on November 11th of 1981. Uh, it was a 10-song album, and uh, we uh, went ahead and uh, sent the uh, the tape out there to. Well, no, no, I take that back. We didn't send it. Here's another thing that I know a lot of people are going to think this is insane. Uh, two of our guys, uh, Max and our bass player Kenny, uh, we well, we had all talked about you know whether we should send it or hand deliver it. Well, we got money together and uh, for gasoline and food. And uh, Max and Kenny actually drove from Columbia all the way to Walnut Creek, California, with the tape, <laughs> and knocked on Bill Burkhart's uh, uh, door. They got there before the record exchange opened, and he could not believe it. He thought that uh, he said, "You guys are insane." I yeah, said, "Well, absolutely. Hey, you know, you know that might be insanity, but uh, you know, we that shows you how bad we wanted it." You know, that's we dedication. Send two of, yes, it is. We're willing to send two of our guys across the the U.S. And I think I think they drove a Ford Mustang at the time, and uh, you know they had enough. Um, you know we got we, we kind of calculated roughly what it would cost for fuel to and from California, and also to uh, you know money for for them to buy food and stuff. But uh, they didn't they didn't sleep. They took turns driving that car all the way across the country, which is, you know, like I said, I tell people that and they they say, y'all, y'all, you guys are crazy. Well, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, well, that's a story, man. That's that's amazing. But, you know, that does show you how dedicated you were. So so whatever happened with, Mm -hmm. with that deal then? Uh, Well, uh, Burkhart ran into a problem. He. Uh, he wanted this, uh, he wanted, uh, that album to be, uh, I don't know, some kind of an epic, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know exactly what he was trying to do, but I do remember back, you know, at, at that time, uh, we didn't have uh, any kind of technology like we have now. And, uh, there were things that he wanted to do with it. In fact, he even got, uh, Akira Takasaki from Loudness, the guitar player and their lead singer to try to help uh in you know in the uh, engineering of uh i guess the mastering of that tape and uh he uh, apparently uh, it it didn't come out to 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 where to what exactly he wanted and uh he told us and he said you know fellas i'm sorry you know you know but the, the thing i don't understand is i wish he would have recommended us to somebody else or another you know studio somebody that had a uh, you know had a a, a, a track record that uh, yeah. maybe could have done something with the tape, but uh, no, you know, we, we ended up getting the tape back and uh, uh, instead of, you know, uh, crying about it, uh, we just went out and uh, started increasing our uh, original song total. You know, at the time we ended up with about uh, 40 to 50 original tunes. You know, we played absolutely no covers because we did not want to, we, we wanted to completely stay away with that. I mean, stay away from that. We wanted to be a 100% original metal band. And uh, anyway, uh, you know, I, I don't know whether maybe that decision not to really push the album was, uh, you know, uh, uh, a uh, mistake on our part or, uh, you know, 
were we were looking for something better to to, to happen with it. But uh, yeah. anyway, the uh, the tenth song album ended up uh, staying in deep freeze for quite a long time. You know, until uh, uh, I finally convinced uh, our drummer Bob Snigon and uh, Dave Swisher that uh, this material definitely needed to come out because it. Uh, uh, it had done so well, you know, back in the day when we were playing that uh, it would have been a shame for people not to be able to hear this and appreciate it. Absolutely. So the, so this album, the Torture and Twisted Record, was actually recorded before the, the demo in 83, which a lot of people you know, kind of found you guys out about for the first time. Well, we actually... Uh, uh, some of the, uh, you know, I, I, I've seen some of the websites out there, and there, there's a lot of misinformation that has been put on uh, quite a few of these websites. Uh, it's, it's just because they, they didn't know. Uh, we had done uh, several uh, demos. Uh, you know, we actually had uh, the very first one that we did uh, had three tracks that we took down to our local radio station, uh, the college radio station, WUSC, because they, uh, they had a show on there called Massive Metal. And uh, the DJ every Monday night would, uh, would ask, uh, uh, you know, over the airwaves, he would say, if there are if there are any metal bands in the Columbia area, please feel free to come down and uh, you know bring a, a tape with you, and we'll be glad to play it over the air. And uh, he kept doing this week after week, and I t- I told the fellows, I said, look, we got you know we've got this uh, three track uh, demo, uh, you know, we need to take it down there. And uh, Max and myself actually went to WUSC the uh, college radio station and uh, knocked on the door. We saw the, uh, the DJ that was in there. His, uh, his DJ name was Dredge Slug and uh, uh, kind of unusual name for a fellow. But uh, anyway, uh, he was uh, so uh, overwhelmed with it. He uh, ended up putting the, you know, the, the, uh, the three tracks on his, uh, I guess at the time they used something called a cart machine to look like an eight track tape or whatever. Yeah. He yeah. put the three, he put the three uh, songs on there and uh, immediately put it into rotation. And uh, every week, uh, you know, um, multiple times weekly, uh, you could hear uh, any one of those three tracks, which we thought was awesome. You know, we were, we were getting a lot of uh, local airplay on the, uh, through the, the college radio station uh, at the time, which was good. Uh, you know, most of the other stations in Columbia were your uh, pre-programmed uh, classic rock or whatever. They, uh, they wouldn't take any submissions from any local bands. Yeah, but uh, anyway, uh, but the, uh, the 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 yeah the ten song album uh, uh, we recorded that uh, the same place. That, well, actually, what we did is uh, three of the songs that uh, were on the demo tape were actually from the album, and uh, we wanted to see what kind of reaction we were going to get with uh, people, you know, over the uh, uh, airwaves or whatever to see you know people liked it, hated it, or whatever. And uh, we we got an outstanding response, and uh, uh, everything just started uh, escalating from there. Well, well, the band did go on throughout the 80s. I mean, you continued to play and record and everything. When did it start to fall apart with the original lineup? Because I know there were different lineups of the band where it came to a point where you were the last man standing after a while. But when did it all start falling apart? When did everybody just start like you? Well, we... Uh, actually, uh, towards the, uh, the end of, uh, of, uh, 86, uh, you know, we, uh, I don't know. I don't know whether some of the guys just, uh, lost the desire or, uh, inter- you know, they, some, some of the fellows got interested in other things or wanted to do other things. I know, uh, 
Max and Kenny eventually ended up moving out to Los Angeles, which, uh, uh, in retrospect, uh, we probably should, the band should have actually moved out to Los Angeles. Cause I think if we would have done that, uh, things would have been a whole lot different. But uh, at the time, you know, not everybody had the money or wherewithal to go ahead and make a, you know, a serious sure. move uh, like that. But you, you also and, talk in uh, mid '80s. Uh, you know, hair metal started coming out, and that kind of took over the whole scene too. And a lot of the other bands started to get kind of left behind. It felt like, and then the '90s came around, and you know, metal just took a big hit altogether. Yes. Do you uh, think the band that, might have been able to true. continue? We- uh, actually, Jack the Ripper uh, played. Uh, had there were four different versions of the band, and the last version uh, 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 played uh, and called it quits in '92. And uh, that uh, you know, I uh, I was kind of uh, disillusioned at that point because uh, it uh, you know the, to me the, the the original five members to me that was probably the the, the best and most. Uh, uh, what do I want to say? Uh, uh, tense and uh, uh, be- th- that was the best version of Jack the Ripper, as far as I'm concerned. It, uh, yeah. you know, had the, the the best the best intensity, the best dedication. You know, like I said, with other versions of the band, uh, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was working with guys that did not have the same, uh, did not want to put in the time and work required to make this thing really, really, you know, do well. And, uh, you know, I was seeing more and more of those kind of musicians, unfortunately. And uh, I don't know whether it was, uh, you know, you know, people wanting to go in different directions or the uh, just the uh, the push for metal at that point was just really uh, starting to, you know, uh, to get to get weaker, at least in the United States. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a little bit of everything, but it did end in around 92, and that was it. But then 10 years later, we hear about this Bloodbath EP coming out. Did you guys kind of all get back together and talk about it, or was this something that was done without you knowing about it? Uh, yes. Well, actually, uh, uh, I'm trying to think. Yeah, in, in uh, 2000, I had gone, uh, you know, I was, uh, somebody had uh, given me uh, a free ticket to, uh, to see Kiss on what was supposedly their farewell tour, and I think it was 2000. And yeah. As we as we well know, they uh, they're still going on, so that farewell yep. tour was kind of a hoax. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yep. uh, and anyway, I had I had gone uh, gotten a ticket to that show, so uh, I went to the show, and uh, uh, it, you know, strangely enough, uh, one of uh, uh, one of the uh, uh, I, I call him a super fan of, of Jack the Ripper. He happened to be sitting there with his girlfriend next to, you know, to, not too far from where I was sitting down, and you know, uh, I guess recognized me and uh, you know, sh- you know, shouted out to me, and uh, I went there and sat down and was talking to him, and then he told me, hey, you know, see, oh, look over there, right across the way, there's a uh, Bob Snigon and his son, and uh, I hadn't seen, you know, Bob in, in, in you know, I had, ta- you know, we had kept up on the telephone, but I hadn't seen him in a while, and. Uh, Anyway, myself, Bob, and uh, Dave Swisher got together, and I told the fellows, I said, you know what, it's a shame that uh, we've got this stuff recorded and it's just sitting there. And, you know, and I told them, I said, uh, it would be nice if uh, if we could uh, get together and uh, put some of this music, if, if not all of it, out on CD and uh, let the, you know, let the people enjoy it. And uh, that's when, uh, you know, we ended up coming out with the, uh, the Bloodbath uh, EP. 
Yeah, and it brought you know, a lot of attention back to the group again. I mean, metal was starting to make a little bit of a comeback around that time, but a lot of old fans mm-hmm. were glad to hear it, you know, and a lot of new fans discovered it. And then two years later, the Back on the Attack record came out with even more songs. Yes, now that, uh, uh, out of the blue, here again, you know, all this, uh, you know, all this uh, stuff uh, happening that, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think you know, there's a, anything's coincidental. I think there's a reason for everything. You know, I, uh, I, I hadn't been able to figure out what that reason is, but uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah, there was there was a fella who actually uh, was a good friend of Bill Burkhart uh, uh, and the Record Exchange, named uh, Rob Preston, and he owned uh, a record company called Doom Planet Records. And uh, I got a phone call from him uh, one day, and uh, he told me he said, you know what, I, uh, he said actually uh, I've got a handful of. Uh, of uh, outtakes and recordings that uh you know you guys sent out to uh bill burkhardt and uh he said if, uh, he said if we can come to an agreement i'd like to put this on an album and uh i was kind of you know uh blown away by the fact that you know here's here was a guy out in california who had told me that uh he had uh had a bunch of these uh, outtakes and recordings that uh that burkhardt uh, had i guess he had made copies uh, of a lot of the stuff that uh, we had sent out to him and uh, he was uh, he he would take uh, that material and uh, take it and play it at parties around California, and people were just getting into it. And they'd say, "Who in the world is that man? You know, that's some good stuff." And uh, you know, that's when uh, I ended up getting a call from him. He said, "Hey, this uh, I believe this will do well." I, you know, he said, "I'll uh, I want to put this out on an LP record," and he said uh, he also said uh, that he was going to. Uh, try to have uh, uh, most of that stuff pre-sold overseas, you know, with his contacts in Europe and Japan. And uh, that's exactly what he ended up doing with that album. You know, uh, now I know there's, uh, there are probably a few copies floating around in the U S but most of, most of that album went overseas and uh, did extremely well. Yeah. It was kind of hard to get a hold of that one, but now all these years later, the torch and the twist of the scene, the light of day, I guess the way you intended it to be, you know, all those years ago, a whole bunch of bonus tracks, on Heaven and Hell Records. Yes. Uh, uh, now, now here, here's another un- unusual story. Uh, a good friend of the band, a, fe- uh, a uh, fellow named Bobby Talbert, uh, you know, who I've known for years, uh, he uh, was contacted by a uh, by the uh, lead singer of a, uh, a band uh, out of Rock Hill, South Carolina, called New York. Uh, I believe the their uh, lead singer's name is Jimmy Ennis, and... Uh, uh, the uh, Jeremy Golden with uh, Heavy with uh, Heaven and Hell Records had uh, been speaking with uh, Jimmy Ennis of uh, New York and uh, you know just uh, I'd thrown out the name Jack the Ripper because uh, Jeremy was uh, actively looking for us, you know, trying to get in touch with one of the guys. And uh, anyway, uh, Jimmy said uh, he said I know uh, I know somebody who might know how to get in touch with those guys. So uh, he uh, he was good friends with uh, Bobby Talbert. And uh, uh, one thing led to another, another and uh, Bobby got in touch with uh, Dave uh, Swisher and his wife. And uh, last year I had uh, come to Columbia. I was living in Charlotte at the time, and I had come to Columbia to uh, see both of them right before Christmas. And uh, when I stopped by over the house, uh, you know, his uh, wife was out shopping, and uh, she came back home, and the first thing she said to me after uh, saying hello, she said, uh, you need to get in touch with Bobby Talbert. There's a record company executive that wants to speak with you. And I was thinking, uh, what's this all about? And uh, anyway, uh, 
I uh, finally got in touch with uh, Bob Talbert, and uh, he uh, gave me the uh, uh, the phone number to uh, to get in touch with uh, Jeremy Golden of uh, Heaven and Hell Records. But uh, before I got a chance to call him, I uh, uh, Mr. Golden had uh, left me a voicemail on my uh, cell phone, and uh, this was, uh, I think, right around New Year's Eve. And the two of us uh, spoke on the phone, actually, uh, on New Year's Eve about, uh, you know, him wanting to put out the uh, uh, the uh, compilation on uh, Jack the Ripper. And I had uh, mentioned to him about the uh, 10 song album, you know, uh, being in deep freeze, uh, you know, uh, and had never been released. And uh, I told him, I said, this this would be a perfect opportunity for that uh, material to be released because, it, you know, it, it just pains me that uh, nobody's been able to hear all this stuff. And uh, anyway, uh, one thing led to another, and uh, he's come out with a uh, fantastic CD that uh, any anybody who is a true metal fan out there should definitely buy this. I'm not I'm not saying saying this to, to personally push the uh, Jack the Ripper CD, but uh, if if you like good metal and you like 80s metal, you know that uh, I I uh, I'm 100 percent certain that uh, you will enjoy this and. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, it uh, I believe it's available for sale on the uh, Heaven and Hell Records uh, website. So uh, anyone that wants to purchase that, it's available now. But I, I can tell you that uh, uh, copies of that are being pre-sold uh, very quickly for uh, you know for the European and uh, by the European and uh, Japanese audience. So I wouldn't wait too long to purchase one of those things. Yeah, you have to get on it because they're very limited in, in copies. And like I said, it has the Tortured and Twisted on there. It also has the Bloodbath EP. There's other songs that were unreleased that came out. I mean, what, what's the status of the band right now? Uh, well, uh, actually, the, the, there's only three of us that, uh, that uh, live in Columbia. Uh, our bass player, Kenny Moore, at, uh, at one time was living out in California with Max. And uh, Kenny has uh, 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 remarried, and I think he's living in Wilmington, North Carolina right now, but there's a possibility he may be moving back to Los Angeles. Uh, he got an excellent job offer. And uh, our uh, illustrious uh, singer, Max, uh, is living in Norway, of all places. So he's in Europe. Ah, yeah. And he, uh, he's he been living there for quite some time. And uh uh, our drummer Bob Snigon uh, actually uh, got uh, in touch with him through uh, Facebook to let him know about the you know the goings on. Do you think there might ever one day be a reunion, even with some new members and some of the old ones? Uh, I tell you what, and anything's possible. Anything's possible. You know, I uh, I still have uh, you know I, I think I yeah I've got almost all my gear. That uh, you know the Marshall stacks, uh, all the, yeah. uh, the the guitars and all that stuff. You know, I, I I still play a couple hours every day. You know, that's something that is you know once you're once you play start playing uh, metal. As far as I'm concerned, it's in your blood. It's something that you you never get rid of. And with me, I'm I'm a diehard metal fan to the very end. That's the best way to be. You know what I want to ask you about AJ? What about the plywood? <laughs> Okay, that, that's, that, that, that's another classic. That's I hope that doesn't mean nothing bad. <laughs> well, oh your, your drummer called up before the show and told me to ask you about that. <laughs> okay. 
uh, anyway, uh, we, we had shared a practice house with, uh, actually another band. Uh, they weren't a metal band or anything. They were like a, uh, a, uh, top 40 type band. And, uh, yeah. their drummer had, uh, had purchased some really expensive, uh, three quarter inch birch, uh, plywood. Uh, I don't know whether he was going to build the speaker cabinets with it or, uh, or, uh, a drum riser or whatever. But anyway, uh. Uh, Max, uh, for always the prankster. He, uh, he, uh, he had told Bob one morning, uh, well, uh, one day after practice, he said, you know what? We've got all this wood laying around here. He said, you know what? I think he said, uh, the, when, when we go out there to do a really big show, we need to have a nice drum riser with the stage. Uh, so, um, next thing you know, uh, he's telling Bob, he said, Hey, I, I've got the perfect, uh, uh, you know, perfect plans on how to how to build a drum riser with uh, ramps to, on either side of the riser for the, you know, uh, for the gu- guitarist and the bass player to run up and down. And uh, anyway, uh, they took all that all that plywood out to uh, an unknown un- unknown location to me because you know this was all going on during the daytime when I was at work. And uh, anyway, uh, Max ends up. Uh, constructing this uh drum riser with ramps that actually folded up which uh you know bob kept telling him he said uh there's no way this thing's gonna work he said you're crazy it's gonna collapse on itself and you know uh you know max said okay okay he said just 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 humor me and uh, he said just build the thing and you'll see what happens anyway he ended up building it using every inch of that birch plywood i mean there was nothing left and uh uh, he got it work it fold up and it was uh, very portable you know so, you know which in fact blew me away because I had never seen anything like that before you know usually yeah. with those kind of uh, uh, heavy uh, drum risers they're kind of real rigid and there's you know you, you there's no way to, to do anything but just lift them up intact and, and have them you know loaded up in, in a truck but anyway the uh, the drummer in that top 40 band had purchased all this uh, birch plywood and uh, he was, uh, I'm not going to mention the fellow's name, but uh, he was a uh, uh, daddy's little rich boy. I mean, uh, his uh, he was a little rich kid, you know, like rich yeah. and rich that yep. uh, thought that, oh, his dad would get him anything and everything. Anyway, uh, he comes in there, you know, this is uh, after we had built the drum riser and all the wood was gone. He came in there uh, one evening and uh, starts getting all bent out of shape saying, uh, where the hell is all my wood? And uh, Max just, you know, casually walked up to him. And he said, you know, it, it's been, it had been sitting around here for, you know, six to eight months, and we just got tired of looking at it. So we decided we were going to go ahead and, and, and do something with it. Anyway, this guy is just, he, he's just hysterical, freaking out. And anyway, Bob, you know, Bob walked up to him, and, you know, he threatened to call the cops and do this, that, and the other. And Bob said, hey, so-and-so, do what you got to do. You know, if you think you need to do it, that's fine. But uh, anyway, uh, you know, he was he was all barking, no bite. You know, he uh, he threatened to do all kinds of things. But uh, we we had the we uh, kind of had the last laugh because uh, we we had one hell of a drum riser that you that could fold up and had ramps. Uh, it was awesome, and uh, we used that for the longest time. But uh, yeah, it was just uh, uh, I. Uh, I'll never forget the look on that guy's face when, uh, you know, he, Max just casually told me, he said, look, we used it. I'm sorry. 
it's gone. There's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing we can do about it, you know. Uh, you know, and uh, but I, I tell you, uh, I don't know if he related this story to you. Uh, this is a real quick one. Our practice house was uh, uh, not too far. Well, we were in like a, a little uh, strip mall type thing in a, in a very small neighborhood. Anyway, uh, about uh, four doors down, there was a, uh, I believe it was like a uh, a, uh, a Baptist church uh, or one of these small congregations, and uh, we were practicing one Sunday afternoon. Uh, it was kind of, you know, uh, if we if we had the chance to practice on the weekend, uh, you know, we weren't playing or anything, we would do it. Anyway, we uh, we got through uh, uh, practicing on uh, uh, one one particular song. And as soon as we took a break, we heard a, a rap on the door. So we went and, uh, you know, uh, uh, opened the door. Now, you have to remember, this is this was probably during the fall, and uh, it was kind of cold outside. So, you know, we're all in there. We we didn't have any, any heat or uh, or air conditioning in the in the practice house. And so we're, you know, we're wearing our, our, our black leather and uh, jeans. And we, we look like a, a, a pretty motley crew. And uh, we, we go, uh, I uh, open, the, open the door, and there's this uh, black minister uh, standing there. And uh, he's sweating profusely. And, uh, you know, he introduces himself and, you know, tells, you know, tells us that he uh, uh, has uh, started a new congregation and that they're, you know, uh, right at the end of the block and uh, uh, wanted to, uh, you know, uh, I guess... Like I said, introduce himself to us and just uh, let let uh, us know that they were down there and uh, uh, try to be cordial. And you know, we we all looked at him with stern faces. You know, I mean, you know, we we weren't mean or anything, but uh, everybody yeah. shook his hand and he had he had kind of a wet, sweaty hand. You know, I know when I shook his hand. But I'm thinking, you know, man, it's uh, it's about uh, 35 degrees outside and this guy's sweating bullets. Anyway, <laughs> the thing that got me, he 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 told us. He said, "Well, our services are from this time to this, to, you know, from this time in the morning to this time uh, on Sunday." And then, then uh, he proceeded to ask us when our services were. And that's uh, when everybody, everybody's just looking at, not saying a word, just you know, just yeah. straight, you know, kind of mean looks on our face. Well, not mean looks, but we're real stern. Anyway, uh, yeah. He, uh, he he excused himself. We closed the door, and and when he, you know, I'd say uh, uh, 15, 20 seconds later, we all busted out laughing. You know, wanted to know when our services started. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> you know, he, you know, he. We, I guess, I guess, I guess we had scared him because you know he didn't know what we were. You know, uh, we we uh, since we were one of those bands who spent a lot of time practicing and didn't go around, you know talking ourselves up or anything you know you know uh, at that point uh there was all kinds of speculation about us you know a lot of it was negative people thought we were devil worshipers and satanists and all kinds of stuff which is the farthest thing from the truth you know people in metal always have been uh hit with those uh stereotypes which i think is uh kind of ridiculous but you know i if that's what uh you know people want to believe you know uh, some people you, yeah, you can't, can't change, change their uh, their belief or attitude. 
That's right. That's the way it is. Hey, but AJ, we're almost out of time. I only have a few minutes left in the show. Uh, I can't thank you enough for talking with me today. It was a pleasure. I'm going to get on some more music before we wrap it up here today off the new release. And you know what? I hope you guys do manage to put something back together again. It'd be great to hear new music and maybe even catch you guys live again. But right now, Torture and Twisted is out on Heaven and Hell Records. I can't thank you enough. And the best of luck with everything you do after this. Thank you very much, Mike. Take care. All right, let's get on one more tune off of the Tortured and Twisted. Uh, pick it up on Heaven and Hell Records. This is Are You Ready to Die? <laughs>
Okay, victim with power hungry. We're gonna play one or two more tunes and kind of wrap it up here today. Uh, next week, next Sunday, the last Sunday of April. I can't believe it. Uh, every week I say, "Well, it's the first week of the month," and then I feel like a week later I'm saying it's the last week of the month. 2016 is flying by. We're gonna be going into May before you know it. But we got a great show for everybody next week. Uh, members of Horizon, Seventh Calling, and Sinbreed will be on the show. And uh, we're just lining up guests for May, but we got a great lineup so far. Carmine Apathy will be on the first Sunday in May, along with Jeff Scott Soto. We have Carl Kennedy of the Rods. I believe we have Eric from uh, uh, Flotsman and Jetsam. I'm not sure who uh, the record label is going to send over to do interviews uh, for the show, but we got a lot of great guests coming up in May. So stick around. We're going to have a good time, like always. All right, Dive Bomb Records. They are re-releasing the first two, apoc- well, the only two Apocalypse Records. Uh, self-titled record from 88 and the Faithless record from 93. There's going to be a whole bunch of bonus stuff, like always. Check out Dive Bomb Records. Grab yourself a copy of them. It's going to sound great, I'm sure. There's like everything else they put out. All right, let's get on a tune from that album, and then we'll wrap it up with something from Dyer's Eve, a band that featured our early guest tonight, Jerry Franklin on guitar. Amazing guitar player. We'll do that. We'll wrap it up here today. So how about from the Apocalypse record? We'll go off the second record. We'll do the song Unwanted, and we'll close it out with Dyer's Eve, Curse the Divine. Take care, everybody. I want to thank all of my guests for being on here tonight. Holly Flanagan, AJ Spiegel, T.C. Tolliver, and Jerry Franklin. Here you go, everybody. Apocalypse, unwanted.
best heavy metal anywhere. BlogTalkRadio.com and Heavy Metal Mayhem. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.